All right, we are back, and as is often the case in this show, we have volumes of material to try and address, some good, some bad, some neither, some both. Let's, um, let's just run through a bunch of items here. All right, headline in the B. Mayor tries another shot at King's Arena. Okay, this is in the bad idea file. What is with the Sacramento Bee? Well, what is with, like, Capital Public Radio? What is but about everybody, like, acting like this, this story about the King's Arena and this giant shell game going on is, is like, a legitimate news story? They can't seem, seem to figure out where to put this thing, you know, put it at Arco, put it downtown, put it at uh, Cal Expo. It's a big shell game. Wonder where the P is? Look at Look. Look, if the Maloofs and you basketball fans want a new arena, then go pay for it, Okay. You've got an arena now. I'm understanding was that's actually the second arena. There was a temporary arena for 10 years, and they built this arena. I guess no one could foresee, I guess, that uh, there'd be this burning need to have more luxury boxes for Vegas high rollers to come and enjoy their basketball. What's up with this story? You know, oh, the roof leaks. Oh, it's dingy inside. Oh, we could never fix the roof and paint. No. Of course, the best part is, you know, this idea that, you know, we have to have a proper arena to keep the team here and show that we're a world-class city. Yes, I think we all are pretty much aware of the fact that whether it's Rio de Janeiro, Rome, Sydney, London, what all those world-class cities have in common are NBA franchises, right? Anyway, we're going to try to mix some, some good things in with all this. Like the piece they had in the Bee several weeks back by uh, Roy Rivenberg, special to be with some explanations of um, how we could Reduce California's deficit with some novel taxation methods. They suggest that with the number of uh, celebrities we have in California, movie stars and such, there could be a paparazzi tax. Mr. Rivenberg thought that with all of the, uh, all the bake sales that are going on to raise money for schools and our, our, our medical marijuana climate, why not have a medical marijuana bake sale? That's an idea that might have some merit. Here's one I like. The deficit reduction chain letter the governor could mail to 20 other states asking each to send $100 million to California's general fund. The letter could warn recipients that bad luck has befallen states that broke previous chains. <laughs> Another one I like, the Indian Gaming Transportation Act of 2011. They could pass a measure where Caltrans would close all freeway exits and roads leading to Indian casinos unless the tribes pay a small highway maintenance fee of maybe, say, $4 billion a year. Here's one I didn't like. Sell San Diego. Hey, let, listen. Listen, Roy. When we do finally get around to, to carving California into two states, we're keeping San Diego in Northern California, okay? We're not selling its world-class zoo, cute trolley system, and fully functional military bases to some aspiring tycoon or dictator. We just can't approve of that one. But in the midst of all this levity, the B does an actual real hard news story here January 25th. Vote set on a crash tax for outsiders. Apparently the brilliant Sacramento City Council has a, had a vote as to whether it would join the growing list of California cities and fire districts that charge non-residents hundreds of dollars when they're in a wreck that requires the Sacramento Fire Department to respond. That's a little cold, don't you think? If I got in a wreck in Fresno, which I did once... I would feel really miffed if I had to pay extra money to the, the county of Fresno for use of their facilities. And by the way, that opinion, like all heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. I bet it represents your opinion, dear listener. Wouldn't you be miffed if you pay extra money because you got in a, in a crash somewhere? I don't know. I guess the insurance company would pay it. I, it just doesn't seem right. 
And uh, I'm not sure whether this is good or bad, but I can't resist it. It was a letter written to the Sacramento Bee a few weeks back on, as regards, former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's bear stashed in the Capitol outside of his office. Apparently, James Simonelli had the following to say about the, uh, the Bee article on this topic. Regarding bear on hand to welcome Jerry Brown's new crew, former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's bear is falsely accused of being bacteria-laden. Copper alloys, which are used to make brass and bronze products, have been used since the beginning of civilization to naturally repel bacteria. Copper even has sanitizing properties at the touching surface. The smallest quantity of copper can control harmful algae, mold, fungi, and microbes at the touch or at the petting of a bronze bear. Well, we, I think he's got a point. And speaking of points, or is it pointy-headed politicians? Daryl Issa, Representative Daryl Issa from uh, Vista, California. I'm not sure where Vista is. But, uh, you know, Daryl, the guy that had the right idea that we should get rid of Gray Davis because Gray was ineffectual and spending too much time fundraising. <laughs> so we had to get Arnold Schwarzenegger or someone else instead. Yeah, that guy. Apparently in our nation's capital, he's been made the incoming chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. From that perch, he's calling the Barack Obama administration one of the most corrupt administrations. I don't know, was he on medication between 2001 and 2009? But no, Daryl is intent upon, I guess, doing for Washington what he's done for us here in California, leading to a letter from Deanne Brown to the Sacramento Bee, which I think we'll uh, excerpt. So Daryl Issa calls the current administration one of the most corrupt in modern history. Where in the heck was he from 2001 to 08? Remember the Bush administration? Remember the Abu Ghraib prison torture? Pre-9-11 intelligence failures? Aftermath of Hurricane Katrina? The suppressed Medicare cost? And bioterrorism studies? Skewed or suppressed scientific research and policies? Real cost of the Iraq war? Government-wide accounting problems? Trillions missing in Iraq? If he doesn't feel like focusing on joblessness and other pressing priorities, the chairman of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform might want to start his investigations about 10 years back. Let's just keep him busy for the remainder of his term. Smartly done, Deanne. All right, here's an item from The Good File. It was 25 years ago this week that the Voyager 2 spacecraft whipped out to the planet Uranus. And yes, that is the correct pronunciation. We mentioned this story on the show before, but it's worth mentioning again that when NASA was contemplating in the early 70s sending a spacecraft out to Jupiter, they realized that if they timed it right, they could then send it past Jupiter and whip it out to Saturn. But if they really timed it right, they could do Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune because of the fact that the planets were in an unusual alignment, which apparently happens only every 180 years where, you know, the gravity assist on one would sling it out to the next, etc., Thus, NASA took advantage of this to uh, slingshot Voyager 2 out to Uranus in the 1989 uh, Neptune. You may have noticed uh, an item on this in various news agencies which shows photos from the Keck telescope in Hawaii of Uranus. But sadly, in the Keck photos, Uranus looks pretty cool. It's got this beautiful uh, deep cobalt blue color with white clouds in the atmosphere. It looks like a mirror image of Neptune. Unfortunately, 25 years ago, uh, Uranus, which is tipped over on its side with its pole, sometimes pointing at the sun and sometimes pointing away, uh, had the pole in the direction of the sun, meaning that its features were completely bland and uninteresting. 
now that it's made a quarter turn, as it were, in its orbit, uh, it's basically um, a line like the rest of the planets, except tipped over, which just made the clouds look much different. Anyway, my solution is send another spacecraft out and get some more recent photos. There's a lot to be learned by going out to other planets, and by God, we should start learning it. I also mentioned some time back that we might like, we might like to get uh, the Voyager 2 Chief Investigator Ed Stone on this program, and we're going to see what we can do about that uh, this year, perhaps with some help from our friends at uh, Planetary Radio, Matt Kaplan, perhaps uh, Bruce Betts of the Planetary Society. We think they might have a little bit of pull over at uh, JPL. All right, from the not good or not bad file, but uh, important, it comes from an editorial from the Sacramento Bee suggesting that the time may have arrived for us to start taxing online retail giants. Considering the fact that every retail bookstore I can think of seems to be in trouble and virtually all the independent ones are going belly up, it may be time to take a look at the fact that Amazon and other online sellers have this inherent advantage of not having to charge sales tax. I mean, we all hate taxes, don't we? But, I mean, if they're reasonable and fair, and I think a sales tax in this case would qualify, well, it's, you know, it's time to give it another look. So we agree with the B on this one. Oh, and uh, let's, let's go back to that arena thing for just a second. Uh, we noticed in the Bites column in the Sacramento News and Review from uh, Cosmo Garvin, well, there was one sentence in this column that really kind of grabbed me. Said Cosmo, Bites is agnostic about the Sacramento Kings and the prospect of building them a new arena. Now, if you live in Natomas, and holy cow, there's an awful lot of you now, it's a little different. If not for the Kings, there wouldn't be a North Natomas. The area was open to development only as a concession to the developers who promised to bring the team here. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think there's a, there's a Pulitzer Prize in, in, in the investigation of that somewhere. Building out in the giant floodplain out in Natomas after getting someone to nudge, nudge, wink, wink, certify that the levees were safe. Someone at the Army Corps of Engineers, apparently. Well, that just bears some scrutiny. And scrutinize we shall. Speaking of levees, they're also worried now that the San Joaquin River might, uh, might overflow its banks due to some damaged levees. Of course, the San Joaquin River in many places goes dry. <laughs> so much water is diverted. So yeah, boys, I guess you, you, I guess you better get it shored up in case there's water in the ravine. So boys, yeah, I guess you better get that shored up in case there's, you know, water in the channel. And I couldn't help note for our listeners in Southern California, and I know we have a few, that uh, this article about pulling some cars out of the uh, Delta Mendota Canal near Patterson, this came in the wake of a kidnapping down in that area. Uh, article in the B noted that for decades, a stretch of the Delta Mendota Canal near Patterson has been a place of fatal car wrecks, suicides, and accidental drownings. Divers have pulled the bodies of homicide victims from its dark, fast-moving waters. Said Patterson Mayor Luis Molina, I talk to people and they say, yeah, if you want to hide something, dump it in the canal. Notes the article, the canal is a major part of the state's water delivery system. Local officials know it as a dumping ground for stolen cars, hazardous materials, and major appliances. So let's go over that again here. Fatal car wrecks, suicides, accidental drownings, hazardous materials, major appliances, stolen cars. Yeah, you folks down in L.A., I'm not sure your Brita water filter is going to be able to handle all that. I also want to cite a great article in the new magazine called California Northern about this very issue about the water wars. We'll return to that topic in the future, possibly with uh, the author, Steve Evans, who wrote a pretty good piece in this uh, 
promising new magazine. But uh, back to the dumb idea file. Headline article from uh, Michael Doyle at McClatchy.com, noting that the Representative Tom McClintock, Republican from Elk Grove, is vowing to resurrect the Auburn Dam. Yeah, Tom McClintock has uh, taken many a stand against, uh, against pork barrel projects, but uh, I-, I guess he's willing to make some exceptions. Sadly, I would say, uh, Tom McClintock has been made the new chairman of the House Water and Power Subcommittee which allows him to promote pet projects like the ill-conceived Auburn Dam. Note in the article, the long-debated proposal for a dam on the American River seemed to formally die two years ago when the state water board revoked rights for the project, estimated to cost upwards of $10 billion. Tom McClintock apparently blamed the Obama administration for creating a man-made drought in the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys, while blasting the Bureau of Reclamation for focusing on water recycling and environmental protection instead of dam building. You know, we got to take a detour back into that article uh, in, in California Northern Magazine. Notes the article, a rational response would be to pursue water strategies that reduce reliance on Delta exports by actually reducing the need for water. In fact, such a response is not only rational, it's cheaper. The Pacific Institute recently released a report detailing how California can conserve up to a million acre-feet of water per year through improved efficiency using strategies as simple as replacing some lawns with plants that don't use much water, insulating our water pipes, using a broom instead of a hose to clean our driveways, etc. Conservation at a cost of $1.9 billion might save that million acre-feet. In comparison, the temperance flat dam alone will cost $3.4 billion dollars and produce only about 158,000 acre-feet of water annually, one-sixth of San Francisco's yearly needs. I don't know. The folks that build dams like them a lot. They make a lot of money on it. They don't always make a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things, however. In fact, in an editorial to the Sacramento Bee, Peter Gleek, who was the founder of the Pacific Institute in Oakland, Notes that we do not need more surface storage. The era of big dams in California is over. Indeed, it ended decades ago. While it is possible that surface storage advocates could succeed in finding places and money for one or two more dams, those dams will not solve our water problems. Here, here. We've got 32 million people in California. There's not a lot of room in the inn at this point. We can't put 20 more million people in the San Joaquin Valley and desert areas of Southern California. We just can't. So we've got to stop this at some point. Why not do it now? All right, in last week's program, we mentioned that the, uh, the MSNBC uh, Keith Olbermann parting of ways surely has nothing to do with the fact that General Electric owns the parent company. Likewise, we'd like to add that we're absolutely positive that the departure of Paul Volcker from the president's economic team to be replaced by Jeffrey Immelt, chief executive officer and chairman of General Electric. It's just another coincidence. Article by Cheryl Stolberg and Anhad O'Connor on truthout.org noted that it was well known in Washington that Mr. Volcker, 83, had sometimes been frustrated in his role as an outside advisor to the president. In a statement, Mr. Obama thanked Mr. Volcker for his service and pledged to continue to call on the former Fed chairman for vice, saying, he will always be a member of my team. Note the article, during Mr. Volcker's time as head of the previous economic panel, the former Fed chairman met periodically with Mr. Obama and had something of a lukewarm relationship with the administration, 
which mostly obtained its economic guidance from Timothy F. Geithner, the Treasury Secretary, and Lawrence H. Summers, Director of the National Economic Council. Which I guess is what another way of saying Goldman Sachs, right? And by the way, talking about this whole media consolidation issue, as we like to do every so often, and we're in the first segment, you should note that NBC Universal, which is the parent company for MSNBC, was formed by a merger between NBC and Vivendi in 2004. It's 87, actually 88% owned by General Electric. And among its divisions are NBC, Universal Studios, NBC Universal Television, NBC News, USA Network, Sci-Fi, Chiller, CNBC, MSNBC, NBC.com, iVillage, Bravo, Telemundo Television Studios, The Weather Channel, Hulu, and A&E Television Networks, among many others. Is anyone else nervous about having that much control in the hands of a uh, major defense contractor? All right, here's a story that's maybe neither good nor bad, but puzzling. Apparently, Anna Nicole Smith's primary doctor, the guy that got acquitted in the late model's high-profile drug prescription case, has been subpoenaed in a separate investigation, according to his attorney. The attorney, Ellen Garofalo, who represents Dr. Sandeep Kapoor, said, It's outrageous! This shows that this is a vendetta. She said that Kapoor was standing outside the courtroom where a judge dismissed most charges when he was handed a subpoena by a process server representing the California Medical Board. Wait, the California Medical Board's going to actually investigate someone? Good God, maybe they'll take a look at Dr. Conrad Murray after this, the guy that gave Michael Jackson uh, operating room anesthetics to help him, quote, sleep, unquote. He's sleeping a long time now. No, we're kind of skeptical about the idea that the California Medical Board has a vendetta against Dr. Sandeep Kapoor. But you can't completely rule out strange vendettas. Like this bizarre story from the end of last year from Kirsten Griebschauer, reprinted in the Sacramento Bee, which I guess I've just got a quote from. Newly discovered documents have revealed a bizarre footnote to World War II, the Nazis' dogged obsession with a Finnish mutt who gave not a howl, but a heil. And just as absurdly, the totalitarian state that dominated most of Europe was unable to do much about the canine's paw-raising parody of Germany's Fuhrer. Apparently, in the months preceding Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union, Berlin's foreign office commanded its diplomats in the Nazi-friendly country to gather evidence on the dog and its owner, and even plotted to destroy the owner's pharmaceutical business. Apparently, the dog in question was a Dalmatian mix named Jackie, owned by Tor Borg, a businessman from the Finnish city of Tampere. Borg's widow Josephine, a German citizen known for her anti-Nazi sentiments, dubbed the dog Hitler because of the way it raised a paw high in the air, much like the Germans greeted the Fuhrer with the cry of Heil Hitler. 1941, the German vice consul in Helsinki wrote that a witness who does not want to be named, said he saw and heard how Borg's dog reacted to the command Hitler by raising its paw. Borg was ordered to the German embassy in Helsinki and questioned about his dog's greeting habit. He apparently assured the Nazi diplomats he never did anything, quote, that could be seen as an insult against the German Reich, unquote. Reportedly, the diplomats in Helsinki didn't believe him. Nevertheless, Borg and his company survived the war unscathed.
Land is happy and gay. Anyway, let's take a short break. You know, I remember the first time I heard that song, I was listening to KDVS as a student. I'd never seen or heard of the movie The Producers when this song came on Springtime for Hitler. I didn't know what to think, but I knew I was listening to KDVS. You gotta love the independent radio station. Let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Rhineland's a fine land once more. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Watch out your 